Lily Hope was born and raised in Juneau, Alaska to full-time artists. She's a Tlingit Indian of the Raven Mighty following her matrilineal line. She's of her grandmother's clan, Takdintan, originating from the Snail House in Huna, Alaska. And she lives in Juneau with her husband, author Ishmael Hope, and five children. Welcome, Lily. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I, I feel like this is, this is um, one of my favorite Zooms to share on with so many of my Alaskan peers here and in the greater out there social media world. Thanks so much. Uh, whew, what an intense time, yes? Yeah. I feel like I have um, 11 balls that I'm, let me catch those. Um, so nice to take a little breather and just spend time with you all um, talking about my work and where we're going and what are we doing, all those things. Shoo, I, I do feel kind of crazy that my hands don't have something going. Uh, do you guys feel like that when you're like sitting and talking? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm, not, I'm not pulling something. I'm not spinning something. I should be splitting or cutting or something. Um, so I'm going to Maybe I should just hold something. I'm just going to hold this over here just so I feel like my hands are just, I'm sorry. Right. So I'm just going to hold this. Okay. Um, thanks so much for having me, Asia. I, I first knew about Bunnell Street Arts from uh, my colleague, Ricky Tagaban. He, he and I have been sharing a studio for a couple of years now, and uh, we're in the... We're in the beginning stages of, well, we're, we're in the thick of it, weaving a blanket together for a national museum. Um, it's, I'm realizing that that was a great plan of my mother's to leave students, and myself included, um, who will continue to weave together, since that's a huge part of being a weaver, is that community that's built. Um, but more on that, we can jump right into questions if you're up for, I mean, however the flow needs to go, Asia. And I, follow you. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, we are interested in hearing all about you and your amazing work, whatever you'd like to share. Um, I think, you know, I'm really interested in knowing how you developed a passion for Chilcat weaving, how you learned it. That is a fun story. Um, so I, I came to Chilcat weaving um, a bit unintentionally. I don't, I don't know that there was a specific moment, uh, at least in the last, well, previous to 2017, there wasn't a moment where I said, when I grow up, I want to be a chill cat weaver, you know, that kind of thing where I want to be a veterinarian, I want to be a doctor. Um, I am the middle child to my mother, Clarissa Rizal. And uh, to that end, whenever she asked me to do something with her, I said, sure, I'd love to spend time with you. Um, so it started in my early teen years where she was saying, look at this cool yarn that I'm dyeing. I'm going to make this beautiful color. Um, don't you want to dye this with me? And she said, come and stir this pot. So we'd do the magic of dropping the skein in and then, you know, stirring the pot for an hour and pulling these yarns out. And I loved the science and joy of that, but largely motivated by wanting to spend time with my mother. Um, so that's how that all started. And I, I also didn't realize that me saying yes over and over was reinforcing for her that maybe 
and now being a mother, maybe I would be one of the people in her lineage to carry this forward, this work, right? Um, so I was spinning warps. Um, spinning warp meaning, where are they? I should have all my things right here. But the warp is made in a chilkat blanket, is made of cedar bark and wool. And I'm gonna grab it, sorry to pop off screen. That's okay, we have lots of really cool things to look at. Oh yes, I should, I'll get to those too. Um, yes. The warp itself is two strands of merino wool and two strands of bark, either yellow or red cedar, whichever we have more of for that particular year. Many Chilkat weavers prefer the softness and less sappy, sticky parts of the yellow cedar. It's less rough on your hand when you're spinning it because we do spin this on our leg, right? Um, actually, I'm just about to release a couple videos with Sea Alaska Heritage Institute on spinning warp on the leg. Um, so it's, it's really like this when it starts. We've got a piece of bark on either side. The other bark is in here already being spun. But then I would roll it down my leg this way and it will spin about this much every time my hand moves down my leg. Um, so hundreds of hours of preparation in uh, you know, doing all that stuff. Anyway, um, I kept saying yes when my mom wanted me to work with her. And then in 2015, uh, the Portland Art Museum asked my mother if she knew a weaver who could weave a full-size chilkat blanket for them. And they said, we'll be unique in the nation that we'll have um, Clarissa Rizal's work, one of her students, uh, Clarissa's teacher, Jenny Clanat, and then Jenny's mentor, Clara Benson, all in the collection at Portland Art Museum. So she could have given out so many other names. And uh, I'm acutely aware that me sitting here right now is because she said, hey, Lily, can we have this robe for you? Grateful to her for that. And I thought she was nuts. I tried to talk her out of it. I said, please don't make me weave this blanket. Like I've woven so many smaller Chilkat pieces. Why me? Um, and she said, I, I said, I have a child who's 18 months old. Um, I kind of want to be around her. And she goes, well, Lily, um, you need something that's going to maintain your mental health. Having multiple children and managing that life, um, you need something that is for you um, and for your heart. So try it. Just just try it. Just try weaving a blanket. So I did, and um, I spent the first half of weaving that chillcap blanket with my mother on my mother on FaceTime on my phone. She would be sitting on my. Oh, I feel like I'm wobbly. Hold on. Um, she would be sitting on my thigh, like sitting on my leg this way, with the FaceTime kind of facing up through the warps. If you can imagine that. Um, so I'd be weaving here. Let's see. I'm sitting here. Got my little weaving going. I've got my phone on my leg, and she is on FaceTime. And I'm, you know, I hold it up and go, "Is this correct? Do, should I, should I move a little more over here? What? How do I bring this braid down?" And really getting like probably three or four hours a day of connection with my mother across miles. She was living in Colorado and Oklahoma at the time, and. Uh, then we'd of course talk, you know, oh, are you taking care of your husband? Are you, you know, uh, how's things with the kids, blah, blah, blah. And all the catching up, right, of mom and daughter relationship. And uh, that was probably the best window of time in the last 
five years that I've had, um, hanging out with my mom virtually. And sometimes when she's in my zip code 99801, we would weave together. But um, that's where I was like, yeah, this is, this is awesome. I was also demonstrating a lot in public at Sea Alaska Heritage Institute in their artist residence space. There were tourists coming in, you know, sometimes upwards of 100 plus per day asking questions. What is this you're making? Oh, this looks like Harris Tweed. Oh, what are these textiles? Um, and I would leave that studio space so energized and excited to share this work because it's not something that many people do. And of the few who are doing it, even fewer are doing it in public. And I called my sister who's you know, a little younger than me. And I said, I had the best day. I was weaving a chill blanket. All these hundreds of people came through. They were asking me how the dyes were made, all this. I said, I'm, I'm so jazzed. And she goes, that sounds like pure hell to me. Like why would, the, I, I couldn't even imagine doing that work. And then she paused and she goes, oh, I think you love this so much, Lily, because you were, are, you're a performing artist. And in that sense, like my background is in theater and um, performance art. So she was like, of course you love this work because this is, this is your heart work. Yes, making chillcat blankets is a kind of a side effect of the sharing that happens um, and, and that connection of humans. Um, so partnering the public weaving of things and the mm -hmm. teaching of how to do this stuff and connecting with people in person and now virtually um, is is really the the like snowball that keeps my work going and excites me the most is the sharing and teaching of this and then of course my mother passes away in late 2016 um, i'm halfway done with my blanket for portland art museum and i was like uh, oh and i was one class and one semester of student teaching away from a master's in elementary education to teach elementary school so i enrolled in the class that i thought i enrolled to do my my student teaching and i couldn't do it i, I had a blanket to finish i had the grief of my mother passing and i was like what am I, I threw my arms up and i was like why is this not working what what is supposed to be happening and it was like the heavens i mean like the voices from every ancestor around were like, you're not supposed to be teaching elementary school. Your mother left you holding the weaver strands. Teach weaving. What are you doing? Like, don't waste another minute. So I dropped, I withdrew from my classes, withdrew from school and um, applied to teach a class in how to weave chill cat faces. So that's how that started. And I think that was the point, like me saying, okay, I won't get a, a teaching degree. Let me teach some weaving. That was the point where I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And since that point, it has been um, one door after another. This is really what I'm supposed to be doing. When, when you hit that road, um, it seems like the branches fall away, you know, the brush has been cleared already and you're on that path. So feel like I'm, I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. And it, it, well, and it feels like a river. I mean, it, it's just, you've stepped into it and it's pulled you along and it's directing. It is very much a surrender. <laughs> it's, okay, I give in, I'll do this thing. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And I know that you've got your own particular weaving style. Tell us a little bit about how you derive that. Maybe we could look at some of your your work if you want to share 
Images um, with us, for example. Can totally share images. Yes, that is a good idea. Can um, do I have sharing capability? Let's see. You should. Okay. I hope you do. Um, let me see if I can pull this up. Um, okay. Share screen. This one right here, and we'll start here. Oh, wrong one. Just kidding. Ha ha. We're starting at the backwards. Go back. Not sure how to do this. All right, um, so huh, I want to go to this image. Can you let me? Mm -hmm. Doesn't like it. Doesn't like me starting there, does it? Mm, okay. Okay, fun. My website, this is, this is all on my website at lilyhope.com. You're welcome to spend more time with it. But um, this is really the first piece that I wove. Um, or I shouldn't say the first piece, but it's the first ensemble that I finished. Um, it's called Copper Child. All the fringes, there's, um, I think there's almost 2,000 little fringe pieces that are finished in copper cones. Um, the design at the top and bottom border of this particular child size robe has a variation of an ancient pattern, usually called the lightning pattern, but I have flipped it um, across the x-axis and now you can see there's these two opposing triangles kind of in the center. So I designed and wove this in 2004, um, and we call this new pattern Shaman Eyes. So it runs the top and bottom border of the Ravenstail robe. And then within this main pattern design, there are eight concentric repeating shapes. Um, this pattern is called Standing on the Top of a Mountain. So it's mimicking a topographical map with the bottom right corner of one of those main shapes being, I think, the lowest point and then the kind of uh, side-lying L, if you see that, um, that top bar, if you've looked at a topographical map, being the highest point, with these rivers cascading in fringe coming down um, through the piece. One of them is a vintage green, kind of like the green that we use in Chilcat weaving, uh, symbolic of the mountain where this particular shaman is gaining perspective. Um, reaching to the ancestor knowledge, the ancestral knowledge. Um, and this piece uh, won first place traditional with Sea Alaska Heritage Institute in 2012 or 2000, 2010 or 2012. Jeez, I don't have the years in front of me, but sometime uh, uh, long ago, <laughs> a decade ago. Um, and uh, they, they now own it, actually. The Sea Alaska Heritage Institute uh, has this in their permanent collection. It has a set of leggings you'll see in another photograph, but um, this was the biggest piece that I wove or ensemble that I wove before weaving the Chilkat blanket for Portland Art Museum. Uh, this is kind of jumping forward, but uh, this is the most recent piece that I finished. Um, it's really a sign of the times um, and a sign of where we were really. Um, the pattern that runs the top mask pattern here, the geometric pattern, is called All Our Ancestors. It's a raven's tail pattern that's on uh, the majority of the ancient robes, raven's tail robes, that are collected in museums across the world. Uh, I think Kay Parker said that like there are 16 robes and fragments preserved in museums, ancient ones, like 200 years old. And uh, I think 12 of them have this pattern in them. So merging this ancient pattern into a Chilkat uh, 
mask, if you will, with the nose and mouth that is iconic in a Chilkat blanket, um, putting these together and then in a COVID-19 style protective mask um, is particularly profound, um, uh, really speaking to where we are and where we've been and uh, the nature of who we are as Alaskans, that we, we tend to think in terms of community, that when someone has a baby, we bring meals. When someone passes, we get together and sit in with our family. Um, we have potlatches and up and down the coast into you know northern Alaska. There are huge gatherings of people and community celebration and so much looking out for each other because of our landscape. That you know the isolation, the harsh weather conditions, that um, the crazy life of raising multiple children in a shutdown. Um, I can't tell you how many times uh, people have dropped. A Costco run, like even just five or six items at my door, and I'm—I don't consider myself um, needy in that way. It's really just like I was thinking about you. I saw this, you know, orange juice and these yogurts, and I thought of you and your kids, and I thought you'd really love them. Um, and same on the other side of like, if someone is broken down on the side of the road. We we stop to help. Um, that uh, there is a community protection and elevation that happens in Alaska, particularly not just Southeast Alaska and Klinkett Haida Simshian, but across Alaska that we're constantly thinking about each other. And this mask, Chilkat Protector, is really an embodiment of that, of um, we're wearing masks, not just to protect ourselves really, but to protect our vulnerable, our children, our older, older generations, our, our elders. Um, so yeah. And speaking to the record of history that our blankets, our Chilkat dancing blankets, have been recording our clan history and migrations for hundreds of years. And here we are in this mask recording history for, for now. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, the amazing... Well, mask, I'm just mm -hmm. thinking about your upcoming workshop. This is a workshop sponsored by the Zuri Foundation exploring themes of um, protection, adaptation, and resilience. And of course, you're speaking to how this mask exemplifies that. And tell us a little bit about that workshop, if you will, because here we are looking at an image of what perhaps uh, the participants will create. It, it is very, very similar to what we're creating in the workshop. Um, each, of this, each of the students who are coming are um, either my former students or current or former students or um, weavers who have studied with my mother Clarissa Rizal and so um, because the intensity um, of creating this particular all these combination of shapes uh, is pretty high level um, not necessarily for beginners uh, everyone had to have some sort of experience in Chilkat weaving and the nose particularly in this mask is the most daunting shape in Chilkat weaving I, I can't I can't say that as enough but um, that is where we're gonna spend a majority of our time together is really talking through what makes a decent nose and how do we construct that? Um, because what we're looking in this photograph, you can't really tell what happened. Um, oh, I, oh, I wish I had one of these, let's see. Um, 
the construction of a Chilkat nose is not straightforward. <laughs> there are lots of curves, as you can see, and um, the baby steps it takes to get this, like the white nostril execution to happen is um, a very time-consuming, precise process. So that's what I'm most excited to share with the workshop participants. And uh, we're, I mean, I mean, they're, they're jumping up and down. <laughs> um, and a large part of that enthusiasm is also the ability to weave together again, like bringing that community together. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Well, it's great to see these images of your work. Is are there other pieces you'd like to um, today? I was, I was going through this just before. Oh, this, this is the robe that lives at the Portland Art Museum. It is a version actually of the pattern that is hanging behind me that you can't see since we're screen sharing. Um, but my mother originally designed this in 2010. Uh, I helped her weave on it in 2010. And then when Portland Art Museum asked for a design, I said, well, what robe should I be weaving? You know, um, I'm not the designer, you, you know, I've never designed a blanket, what should I do with this? And she said, well, take the Jenny Weaves and Apprentice design and make it yours. Like that has been, the practice since the beginning that since we know of um, that the mentor weaver would say hey I wove this diving whale pattern here's the same pattern board um, you know change the colors if you wish um, make it yours we've we've a version of this so in the world there are more than seven diving whale designs that have very very similar characteristics and like maybe there's a little blue over here when it used to be yellow on the other one or they added a little extra on the bottom left and right um, but that pattern boards were shared across multiple lineages of you know maybe even over a hundred year span so I wove this one for Portland Art Museum, and uh, again, Ricky Tagaban was instrumental in weaving this with me. Um, he helped vision the tail that is happening at that bottom center with that green under the little bird eyes. Um, yeah, um, if there's one thing I can say, just tangent to this, um, having a colleague or two or three or a community of artists that are doing similar work and that you can bounce ideas off of even um amy meisner and i have had some really mm -hmm. powerful conversations um that is key to the artistic process <laughs> yeah. this is the this is the front side of that first raven's tail ensemble that sea alaska heritage owns um and this is my firstborn child uh, elizabeth hope modeling it um, she has woven a couple of small pieces, um, but is she's my storyteller. Oh, that is her in the center again, you know, 10 years later, <laughs> seven years later. So this is the full span of these masks that we'll weave um, starting tomorrow. And, and these, these masks, I mean, I first became aware of you quite recently. Um, and I was speaking with my friend, uh, Fran Dubrock, chief curator at the Anchorage Museum, and she told me about the sort of marvelous thing that's unfolded in COVID times with a, with a flurry of, of um, efforts to acquire these beautiful masks for a number of West Coast museums to, to memorialize through this extraordinary work, you know, these times. Tell us what's happening in that regard. Uh, it, hmm. I have to give some credit to my videographer, Scott Burton. Uh, I asked him, well, no, let's start at the beginning. Um, so 
let's see, First American Art Magazine put out a call for a virtual show um, uh, documenting or indigenous mask, um, documenting indigenous masks, folk art masks in um, America. So masks were submitted in April um, or late March, and they put all of these masks that were submitted um, on their online magazine. Uh, site like they released I think the 8th of April or something like that it went live and that same day Katie Bun Marcuse from the Burke reached out to me and said that blue mask that you wove that chill cat thing uh, we we need it um, please let us have it don't don't sell it to anybody else like what do I need to sign to confirm that that blue mask is ours so that started it and then about a week later she said hey I'm doing a presentation for um, some collectors, supporters, patrons of the museum, and I'd really love to have your narrative for the Chilcat Protector Mask um, in your voice. Can you record an audio to me and send it? I'll include it in my PowerPoint. So that was like huge gratitude to Katie Bunmarkews for bringing that to my attention that that could be a valuable way to reach people in this time. Uh, so I sent the audio and then myself and my videographer, um, and I call him my videographer, but he is every, he's available to everyone. Um, Scott Burton of Scott Burton Productions um, helped me put together an, a, a short video, like 30 second video about the artist statement behind Chilcat Protector masks. And um, I said, hey, can you do a slow pan of just just over the mask itself. Um, that's that's all I really wanted. I was like, I just want to do the spoken word. It's like mm, six or eight sentences, shouldn't take very long, and then it can go live and I can share it on YouTube. Um, so with the intent of sending it to museums um, to say, hey, I'm aware that you have a chill cat blanket in your collection. Do you want to record history this way? This is an opportunity for you. Um, he didn't do a slow pan over the mask. I, I could pull it up. Do you want to watch the little video? Um, sure. It's, um, it is, I, I won't even say anything else because it's more than I expected. Um, let's see, file. Um, sorry for the pause. I'm going to just find it real quick. Um, so I, it, it's, it is with the echo of my mother that we are constantly co-creating, that we are never, you know, we're, we never create alone. And uh, it, it's, I'm acutely aware of that and the profundity, if you will, of that. Oh, wait, I have to actually share this before I go big screen. Okay, so this is this one. I'm gonna keep my mouth shut so you can hear this, hopefully. Um, for hundreds of years, Chilcat blankets have documented history, clan migration, and stories for the indigenous peoples of the northwest coast of America and Canada. Chilcat Protector serves as a record of this time. In the future, people will know we were here, we took care of each other, and we survived. We are still weaving. Um, so incredible. Thanks. Um, so uh, I, I totally cried when I saw that video <laughs> um, because it was more than I 
more than I visioned. So, you know, we can make art and then uh, we are, you know, I, I said, here, can you do this thing? And it was, it was more than I asked for. So um, really beautiful that way. Um, gr wow. Gratitude to Scott Burton, anyway. Um, it, it really does take a village <laughs> to, to uh, continue creating, even across the miles. Yes, we never create Thanks for doing that. Um, you know, at the same yes. time, I'm thinking about the fact that you're a mother of five children, and you know, how does how does mothering shape your work, and how does your partner Ismail Hope obviously provide essential support for your studio process? Um, whew, that's multiple layers. Let's see. Uh, mothering shaping my work. Um, I don't know that it's specific to the art items that I'm creating, right? I'm not, I'm not going into it with, um, you know, making baby blankets or items for my children particularly, although my own mother did that. Well, that's a lie because the two ensembles that I've woven are child size. So, <laughs> um, that and that's twofold in that I want my children to wear my work and for them to carry this legacy, right? Of being able to wear something that is of prestigious value. Um, it's something that I can give them, uh, but also it's um, they're small enough to finish in less than a year. When you take on a 70 inch blanket, it's 12 months in the making, plus the preparations that happen for three months prior. And uh, so that part makes some work that my children can wear and makes some work that doesn't take a year to finish. But in everything that I'm doing and in every documentation that I'm any anything that I'm writing down, any records that I'm making um, is always rolling in my mind of one of my children has to take my place. One of my children, plus any of my students that are current or past, has to carry this work forward. Um, at any point since the early, since 1900s, um, there's less than a dozen Chilcat weavers. And uh, that's intentional, I think, that the work that we're doing is intensely spiritual. Uh, we talk about our Chilcat blankets as being the veil between worlds. Um, that we, the humans, are sitting on this side of the robe and our ancestors, our spirit helpers, are on the other side. Um, and that's not to be uh, taken lightly. Um, the, the work is bigger than our words know. Like, I, I've been struggling to figure out how to put that into narration. Like, what is the story behind that that um, we can communicate in such a way that... Um, I guess this is a really good example. Um, I couldn't weave after my mom died. And I would come to my loom half done and put my hands in the warp and just cry. And I was like, I'm, I don't know how I could do this without you. How do I move forward? And um, I called Ricky because I was taking care of my mother in Colorado. So I was still in Colorado, settling the estate with my sister. And I called Ricky Tagaban, my good colleague, and I said, how do I get back to this? Because I don't know that I'll ever be able to finish this blanket without my mother. And he said, <clears throat> go to the other side of the loom. 
and put up all the ends because on the back side of a chilcat blanket there's these little like pieces just like in a cross stitch there'd be all these little strands that happen um and uh i went to the back side of the loom and started needling up all the little braids and about four days later, I'm there and I feel this waterfall of memories like crushing through my body into the back of the loom. Uh, almost like I had died, but every memory of myself and my mother stirring dye pots, spinning wool, harvesting cedar bark, the crazy arguments and fights that we'd get into, just like crushing into this blanket, right? Waterfall, like all this energy. And I like kind of sat up, I shook it off and I said, okay i got this we we're like this is a continuity of knowledge this is a continuity of work um and she's like right here like when i'm i'm stuck and i'm like i don't know where this line is supposed to go where which color goes next whatever i like throw my arms in and she like tunes in right here like she's not far and she's able now to work in all the zip codes right she can assist my sister she can you know help my brother get the next film gig you know all the things and she and i are still weaving together um that i feel like she's a spiritual phone call away um i don't know that i um like i'm not literally hearing her voice um but she's she's ever present and um, i'm excited that she can do all the things <laughs> in a shorter window of time now. It's not taking her a year to make a robe anymore. Um, so yeah, that's motherhood. And I'm only able to do this work because my husband has a flexible creative schedule. Um, he's an art scholar, Clinket language specialist, um, doing creative work himself, poet, uh, working on indigenous video games. And uh, we like trade hours. If I'm at my studio for five hours in the morning, he goes to his studio for five hours in the afternoon. And uh, I leave the house every single day, seven days a week. Even if it's Saturday and Sunday, I'm only gone for three or four hours. I, I work seven days a week. <laughs> on Sundays, I usually carve out a full day and I'll go on a nature walk by myself. I'll get a massage. I'll do something that is not work. Um, or go to, you know, breakfast, brunch with my aunt, um, but something not work so that I'm, you know, all work and no play makes us a little nutty. Um, mm -hmm. Finding that balance again, finding the balance in work and play and being a human and finding that nature that speaks, that keeps things rolling along. That's such a full schedule. What about family time together? Do you achieve very much of that? <laughs> We, we have kind of carved out Saturday mornings as our adventure time. We'll go out to the beach or go into nature, hike up. You know, of course, we're dealing with like three, six, and seven-year-olds. So, like, those are the younger three. And so we're walking at a three-year-old's pace or backpacking her. Um, and uh, But, you know, we get a couple hours together and go play out in the woods. Wow. And then through all of this, you still manage to teach. Well, uh, I have this fantasy that if I could teach like 50% of my life and weave another 50% and I want, I want all the hours, I want 55 hours a week, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't get nearly that much, but, um, it, it really is the, the fire under my, the fire under my creative work is the teaching and connecting and community building. 
Um, I, I'm an enthuser of other people. I really want others to get excited about the work, to get excited about their creative work. I think Alison Bremner is probably my, like, we, we're like cheerleaders for each other. What are you working on? Send each other like updates of things. Um, so she's not a weaver. She's actually carving and painting in form line, but um, you know, you need those people that you're going to like bounce ideas off of. And actually my husband Ishmael is uh, that primary person, him and my aunt Deanna Lampy are my two people that I'll like bounce ideas off of with. Those that's, critical in uh, having a creative life is having those creative um, sounding boards and supporters. But yes, enthusiasm for teaching is my, that's my forte. I love it. I love teaching. Mm -hmm. And it's and it necessary. Gives, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about, you know, um, the, the rarity of the weavings themselves and the perpetuation of the story, you know, the perpetuation of the tradition. Right. The, essential, the essential idea of, of at least one of your children becoming a weaver. Right. Did you ever talk about when that became apparent that you were that one? Uh, hmm. I, I think it, well, one, she, hand, she basically handed me the Portland Art Museum commission. Um, and mm -hmm. thank you to Tina Dart, who was the former uh, curator of Native American art there. Um, she handed me that and then she passed in late December 2000 or in December 2016 not long ago I guess in the grand scheme of things but um that uh my fourth child at the time was um I guess she was two just turned two and uh we had already named her um Eleanor Weaver Hope which is the tradition in you know indigenous communities that we give a child a name that is their destiny kind of, you know, like helping them live into their destiny. Um, and she is my middle child. Like Eleanor is one of the middles because we have now a three-year-old, which we weren't intending to have the fifth baby, but she's a delight and we couldn't imagine life without her. But um, Eleanor now is my, I, I, call, shh, I call her my lost child that I feel like I've missed a lot of her childhood. Um, having this other baby. I didn't mean, you know, I didn't mean to miss so much of that um, because we also adopted a baby from Anchorage who is my husband's niece that same year that Eleanor, actually six weeks after, no, six weeks before Eleanor Weaver was born, we adopted her sister Mary or brought her into our home and they are 10 months apart. So they're really beautiful sister friends, like friend sisters, um, but I feel like they have missed, those two have really missed my heart um, with weaving a chill cat blanket and birthing another baby. Um, so whenever it's, it's so amazing because whenever I ask Ella to come and help me with something like, Oh, look, there's these little warps and they have these little things that need to be trimmed off really carefully. You want to come do this with me? She's like, yes, I'll hang out with you. And I was like, Oh, that's it. So if there's no one else, it's Eleanor Weaver. I'm calling you out. You don't know it yet, but you can Weaver, okay. <laughs> I mean, she knows. Both Ishmael and I have talked to her in the traditional way of like, when you grow up, it is very likely that this will be your life, that you get to spend time with your mother a lot and then um, with your weaving community and holding, holding the work, continuing the work. Yeah. I want to learn more about um, your teaching philosophy and the values that you have about teaching youth and adult learners together. Hmm. 
So it sounds like that's how you got started. If, if I could distill it down um, to what is most delightful about teaching youth and mature weavers um, is the curiosity and fearlessness that our youth have. Um, I, I don't know where that gets lost or when or if it always gets lost. Like there are definitely some adult artists who don't have that little like, yeah, I don't know, you don't know what you're doing. Why are you doing it that way? Did you turn the corner the wrong way? All those little like, the little like, if you will, a little like saboteur on your shoulder that's kind of talking you out of the most brilliant ideas they you're having. Um, I think that kids don't have as many of those little voices. Um, and the, the curiosity and enthusiasm is so vibrant in that, that sitting a youth and a mature weaver together um, is this happy marriage of like, oh, I look at how fearless this youth is. I don't have to listen to these little voices so much. Um, and the the mentoring that happens naturally especially like when you're doing um you know multi-generational learning that the mature artist will reach over and say oh yeah the corner is turned like this you just want to flip that one to the back and bring this one down um and it's it's unfortunate that we can't physically be together you know because that happens so much more in person but i think even over zoom we'll be able to um still foster those kind of relationships where we can either on chat or you know texting each other we all have each other's numbers um to be able to say hey i saw you turn that corner or you know if you put one more row in before you put the nose braids in you won't have a little white pop in your in your curve of your nostril that kind of thing um so hoping to still foster that relationship uh yeah i think that's it that the the little, the little negative Nancy voices don't come up so much in children. And I, I want to continue connecting with artists who are doing the work of like flicking those guys off, you know, like get, we're gonna, we're gonna focus on the positive, um, continue to connect with people who are excited about the things you're excited about or willing to talk through ideas with you. Um, it's, oh, it's, yes, building and, and then, the, the connections that we're building with our young weavers, that is, that is critical for making sure there is a few of us, you know, 40 years from now that are still weaving. And, and in this workshop, which, which starts very soon, it, you have um, eight or 10 weavers um, and there is a range of ages there. We do, uh-huh. The youngest weaver I think is 16. She might be 15, I should ask, but Shken George is a Chilcat weaver here in Juneau and her daughter has been weaving since she was six, five or six. And uh, yeah, she's really focused. And then we have um, Corinne James, who is a weaver here in Juneau. She's also in high school. And then kind of a mid-range, if you will. Don't want to call you out. She's in her 20s. Um, but Patrice Deasis uh, learned to weave from my mother when she was 11. So it's been, uh, which is hilarious because we were at a workshop together. My mother said, hey, come to this workshop. And you got a few other weavers and uh, Patrice was present. And I said, oh, hey, what high school do you go to? And she looked at me like, I'm 11. <laughs> so it's amazing to come back together. I haven't worked with Patrice since that time. And we're going to get to hang out together a lot. So fun. That's so fantastic. And I just want to acknowledge that, you know, there's um, 
several really outstanding artists in the room with us and, and um, invite any of you all who are friends of Lily and uh, or not and just want to connect. You know, if you have a question, this is a wonderful time and space to do that. You can speak out loud by unmuting or if you want to type in your question, you're more than welcome to do that. This is a, a really nice space to just be right in your studio, right? Is that, is that we're in your studio? Right. Yes, you're in a you're in one corner of my studio that is less chaotic than the others. Um, mm -hmm. And you are looking at uh, let's see, this little guy right here is the robe that my mother wove. Uh, one of the last pieces she finished. Uh, she intended to weave a full child size ensemble for all of her seven grandchildren that were alive when she was alive. She now has nine grandchildren. Uh, this one she wove for my son, uh, Louis. Uh, he was the only grandson at the time. And if you look closely, um, he, this one has these really distinctive eyebrows right here. We went through her journals and uh, there, are, there are seven little distinctive eyebrows that my mother wove with each of her grandchildren's names. And she intended to weave a chill cat ensemble for them with their distinctive eyebrows. She also added little dimples because he's one of the only grandchildren with dimples. But that was the blanket that she wove for my boy Lewis. And this was part of my inheritance because she knew I would probably never sell it, give it away, let anyone have it. So he's um, just about too big for it, although it's going to be the most epic dance apron when he is big enough to wear it on his waist. So, good. Wow, that's fantastic. And behind you, you've got another piece there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this um, this little guy right here, it was um, is the headdress that I wove. If you can believe it, it is all of the Chilcat weaving that I did prior to weaving a blanket for Portland Art Museum. So when people say, well, well, how many things do I need to weave before I weave a blanket? And I say, weave a headdress because it will show you how to put fur on the top. It will show you how to connect designs together. Um, it'll show you how to do the fringy ending. And the, the, the critical part in here is that in a straight line of Chilcat weaving, you have the opportunity to use what's called a drawstring that I wove the entire midsection of this independent of the eyes. There was this awesome little sinew string that ran back and forth along this seam. And so when we bend it open, there's actually like little pops of wax string that you can see in there and that pulls it all together. So um, that is what I told my mother. I said, I have woven this headdress why would you put my name forward for a blanket? And she said, because you have all the knowledge that you need to weave a blanket in here. Just go back to it. <laughs> so that was, that was enlightening. Um, wow. and, and really, um, that's, that's what I get excited about when I'm like, oh, that really we could, we could be building Chilcat blanket weavers by weaving headdresses, like really, like let's do a 50 hour workshop with headdresses, get you finished, start to finish, good, you'll be good to go. Um, that being said, there are definitely pieces of a Chilcat blanket that is not in a headdress. And uh, I sure wish that I had woven one before I wove one, 
or and I got to weave one alongside someone um, the whole time uh, because so much learning happened otherwise known as weave the thing and then take it back out again <laughs> um, so lots of learning happened but then I partnered this guy with this little jacket um, a contemporary version of the chill cat blanket <clears throat> I call this one the little watchman um, it's a wool the wool pea coat and has a little whistle on it here um, and little woven epaulets on the shoulders. Um, so kind of, kind of a nod to the military, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Um, and the, a watch guard. Um, and the whistle is really about um, blowing the whistle, if you will, on the breaking of tradition in, in a way that is um, affecting our ancestors in a detrimental way. And, and I don't know if that's the correct terminology, but like, mm, our elders told us to do it this way and they didn't necessarily explain, right? We, like, you don't weave your mask in purple or orange, like this particular, the mask is this, is this thing that goes across the main face. Um, we don't weave five-fingered hands in our weaving. Um, you, you give gratitude before you start weaving. All the things that they led us to um, in chilt cat weaving, um, you always keep your weaving covered when you're not working on it. There's a shawl that hangs over it. Um, all those energetic things, we go, okay, I'm gonna follow what you're asking, um, even though I don't, I can't ask you why anymore, right? You're not here for me to answer that or to, to answer that question. Um, so really the little watchman is my, um, expression, if you will, on uh, intending to carry the teachings I was left with, with integrity, um, to carry them and you know, teach them that way, to lead people to the work that way in uh, the commitment that we're making as Chilcat Weavers to um, honor our teachings or our teachers and the teachings left in our care um, uh, respectfully. So. Mm. Janet Northey has an interesting question. She asks, do you think of your woven face coverings as similar to a carved mask? Um, no, no. I, um, I don't know that I, nope, I don't know that I've ever considered that. Um, it's a carved mask. Well, I, I suppose that they have different roles, you know, the mask that's carved and worn on the face versus the woven mask that's worn on the body. What's the, what's the symbolism behind the woven mask? In what respect does it protect? What does it represent? When, when I think about a carved mask, I, I think about an expression of a particular spirit um, or emotion or time. I, I don't know about time, but like um, my mother was part of Nakahiti Theater in the 90s um, and they wore masks as part of like an expression of Raven or a particular character. Um, uh, and I, I don't know that the Chilcat Protector mask is that, in, in that it's a, it's a singular, um, character. It's definitely a representation of 
beingness of um, of a way of being in that um, we are we are community driven to protect each other and that it's not a selfish act in putting on a mask it's really um, how many people can I protect through this particular face covering um, uh, that three musketeers thing of like all for one one for all um, the work of um, yeah, the work of protecting my face is really about protecting you, you, plural. Um, so different in that way. And that uh, it's, it's not um, gender or uh, age specific. It's not, um, you know, only eagles can wear it, only ravens can wear it, um, only men can wear them. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I would partner with a carved mask. Yeah. What do the colors symbolize in Philcat weaving? Yellow, blue, this, black, white. This is a um, this is a profound question that no one has come up with the answer to. Uh, mm -hmm. The the yellow itself, uh, as far as dye properties go, was traditionally made of a lichen called wolf moss. And is it still here? Yep. So here's the wolf moss, it's my little yellow. So I dyed this yarn with wolf moss and the wolf moss itself is Lotharia vulpina or Vulpinia, Vulpina Lotharia. It's poisonous. Um, you can crush this particular lichen up and sprinkle it over meat and put the meat out and it'll kill the wolves that are killing your chickens. Like it is very poisonous. So I'm gonna like wash my hands after this. Um, it is also shelf stable, right? Because it's a lichen, it's the marriage of algae and um, what's the other one? Algae and fungus. So it um, stays this color and stays this dry even 20 years later, it's still this color. So we can die with this wolf moss at any point. Um, so I think about the yellow in terms of protection that way, um, that, uh, you know, we're, we're protecting spirit in a sense in that the wolves can't get to us really like whatever those wolves being whether it's a saboteur energy or some other thing like that um but i had a girlfriend speak to me about the yellow that she had a dream and i hope it's okay to share um her name was aura landau she's um non-indigenous but she called me up one just recently and she said i woke from a dream that the yellow in your chill cat blankets lily has something to do with communication and immediately as soon as she said it I got goosebumps and I was like um, what if what if there's something um, being communicated via spirit realm physical realm right that that was the first thing as soon as she said it, I was like oh that's how we're communicating via you know telepathy spirit realm kind of stuff I, I don't know um, yeah it's um not sure that has not been confirmed yet don't know um haven't dreamed of my mother since that conversation she likes to send messages via dreams i've probably only dreamt of her four or five times my whole the whole time since she left but um i should go to sleep with the intent of asking her that is it true that yellow is our communication is that what it is and we're, no one that i know of has articulated what the blue means or what the what the black is but yeah but you said for example that purple couldn't be used on the mask in the way that green is in the um 
And that is, that is my honoring of my teachers in that, um, here's the thing, in any art form, right, um, whether it's hand stitching textiles or weavings or paintings or form line design, uh, it is the parameters, right? It's the rules and parameters of that particular form line and mastering those techniques that gives us the freedom within. Right, people are like, aren't you restricted by blue and yellow only or blue and green? I mean, blue, green and yellow and black and white. Like, don't you wanna use orange? And I said, the, the thing of it is, like mastering two, like the French knot and then a single overhanded stitch, if you can master those two things and use them like masterfully, I mean, just like all the things that you make have those two things in it, you already have a body of work that is going to be cohesive and you have all the freedom, like all the freedom within that expression. So I'm like, I don't need more colors. I need time to like focus on the particular line that comes around. Like I want to zoom on a Chilkat blanket and weave like a 10 inch piece that is a blown up version, if you will, like a zoomed in version of a Chilkat blanket. Like, a, mm, like there's so much freedom within those parameters. And that's where I find excitement in the tradition, in the, like, like that Chilkat protector mask, it is still an expression and a technical, ex like, practice of Chilkat weaving, but it's completely contemporary. Like, there's, I mean, it is, it is the mask of our current climate right now. Like, that is the thing. Um, yeah. So it's within those, it's, it's, yes, again and again, mm -hmm. it's, it's within my restrictions that I find freedom. Lily, you're so articulate and such a powerful teacher. Thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I thank the Surrey Foundation for sponsoring your workshop and hand twining. Tilcat Protector Mask for um, other Tilcat weavers, emerging and established weavers to help perpetuate culture. It's really um, a delight for all of us to hear you and to have the opportunity to, uh, to learn and to support you through um, this work. It's part of the series, the first one to begin in a series of workshops that address protection through cultural adaptations and expressions of resilience in customary art forms. And more can be found out about these workshops at banalart.org. Thank you all. Thank you, especially to Lily Hope. And um, look forward to convening next week. We'll be speaking with um, Swedish curators and artists through our sister um, museum, Huevda Culture House in Huevda, um, Sweden about how that museum is adapting to COVID and what kind of artistic interactions Vera Senob, the artist who will be visiting us next year for her residency at Banel, what kind of adaptations she's exploring. Wow, thank you. I look forward to that. My gosh, um, it'll be fun to connect with Weavers tomorrow. And thank you again, Asia and Banel Street Arts for having me. It's a pleasure. We're delighted. Thank you all. Take care. Stay well. Bye-bye.